So we're talking about making room for God, and we're breaking down the vision or mission statement of Generations United Church. And so we've already talked about uh, how we're a family-oriented community of faith. We talked about last week, anyone at any stage of life can experience the dynamic presence of God. Uh, we've talked about all those things, but it really boils down to who we are, the ethos, the characteristic spirit of a culture or community, and the way that that spirit is manifested in its beliefs and aspirations. Our core values, I'm not going to go into the detail I did last week with those, but I'll just hit them. We are a multi-generational uh, family. We're experiential in our worship. We're balanced in our, or at least we attempt to be balanced in our preaching and our teaching. Uh, we're all about restoration, which we're going to talk about today. Love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Nobody fighting alone. Uh, we want to see people spiritually and community formed through biblical literacy. And we're about global missions. And so um, today, we're going to break down this part of our mission, our vision. Our commitment to love, acceptance, and forgiveness allows God to bring people to wholeness through restoration and spiritual formation. How many of you have been to Ellis Island Statue of Liberty, that area in New York? Okay, a number of us. Uh, if you were there, you probably saw this on a plaque. It says, I'm not reading the whole thing, just the latter part of it. Keep ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Uh, it's from a poem or, or verse called the New Colossus. And it's on a plaque there on the Statue of Liberty, the base of the Statue of Liberty. It sounds a little bit like, come to me all your labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. It sounds a lot like that, doesn't it? Now, I don't know where the writer got it. I haven't read the backstory of where that, was, that originated or anything like that. But it sounds an awful lot like that passage. And it also sounds a lot like uh, Matthew 25 when Jesus says, he's telling this parable, and he says, the king's going to say to those on the right, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Whether it's the new Colossus on the Statue of Liberty or whether it's Jesus talking in Matthew 11 or Jesus talking again in Matthew 25, there's, a, there's this element of brokenness that is being addressed. There's this element of, of broken people. You know, one of the things that, and, and I know we've got, we've got all kind of immigration issues and, and all that kind of stuff, but if we're not careful, we're, we're going to find ourselves very hypocritical of how we've been from the beginning as a nation. And I'm not talking about politics today. I just had to make that statement because it's real easy. It's real easy. On the flip side of it, those of us who are believers, if we're not careful, we will find ourselves in a similar situation. Where we don't look at people and go, come all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come everyone that's burdened. If you're hungry, then go find some food. If you're thirsty, go get something to drink. But we don't engage in the process of moving people from brokenness to wholeness. When we look at the life of Christ, Jesus makes three guarantees to us. We talked about this before Christmas, but I want to speak to it again for just a moment this morning. Jesus makes these guarantees. He says, I will love you unconditionally, always, under every circumstance, with no exception. The second guarantee is that he guarantees that you and I will be totally accepted at his feet. 
without reservation. And then he makes a guarantee that no matter how miserably you fail or how blatantly you sin, unreserved forgiveness is yours for the asking with no bitter taste left in anybody's mouth. Those are the guarantees. That those three things sum up the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are the guarantees that Jesus has made to every person that's ever been born since he came. Those are the guarantees that he says to everybody on this planet, no matter what your upbringing, no matter where you are right now, no matter what you've done or what you're doing or what you're going to do, Jesus makes the guarantees that he's going to love you unconditionally, he's going to accept you without reservation, and forgiveness is yours for the asking. That's it. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter the, the social standards. You're, it doesn't matter how much money you have or do not have in your bank account. Jesus makes those three guarantees to you. And at Generations United Church, we're attempting to make those three guarantees to others. Because it's the center of who we are. It's the center of who I am. My wife and I, for almost 40 years now, we've been in ministry. And this has been the center of who we are as pastors whether we're pastoring students or whether we're pastoring adults and everybody in between. It's, we're about love, acceptance, and forgiveness, and Generations United Church is as well. The core value, the center of who we are says to people that you're going to be loved always under every circumstance, that you're going to be totally accepted without reservation, that no matter how miserably they fail or how blatantly they sin, forgiveness is yours. Unreserved forgiveness is yours, and nobody's going to have a bitter taste in your mouth. Now, do we hit the mark on the, in the center all the time? Not always. Because every now and then, every now and then, I, get, I hear someone come to me and go, hey, pastor, uh, we're going to have to go somewhere else because this is what happened, blah, blah, blah. And i got to wade into a situation where someone that is a part of this congregation, whether loosely or whatever, didn't live the values of Jesus Christ. And they, maybe they were prejudiced, maybe they were judgmental, you know, whatever it is. And so it, we don't always hit the mark. But corporately, what I'm saying is we're moving in that direction. We're striving to be a house of full-on love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Because that's who Jesus was. That we can love unconditionally, that we can accept without reservation, that we can forgive for no bitter taste. Whether it's Ellis Island or the Statue of Liberty as the door to the United States of America, love, acceptance, and forgiveness provides the door to restoration and wholeness for people that need it. Without it, the doors are closed and people are repelled. This is, this is something that we as pastors and ministers and, and, and across the board, even, even as congregants and members and part of the family, we all have to recognize that the way we get people to come to Jesus Christ is not through pointing out their sin and calling them sinners and abominations and telling them you're going to bust hell wide open and telling them to turn a bear or whatever it is that we tell them. That's not how you get people to God. And I, I talk about this a lot because I hear it a lot. Every now and then somebody goes, Pastor, you just, need to, you just really need to just lower the boom and get some hellfire and brimstone. Well, why? That doesn't do anybody good. That doesn't do anybody any good. All that does is mess us up after we come to faith because everywhere we turn, we think God's up there with this big handful of lightning bolts ready to just smite us. Is what the King James says. Smite. Boom. That's a terrible word going to smite you. Anybody ever been smoted? <laughs> I don't know if that's a word or not, but it's funny.
But there's nowhere in Scripture that we see that. We don't see Jesus doing that. Jesus doesn't look at people that are on the outside and, and, and call them names. And you look in your Bible and you go, well, it says here the adulterous woman and, and the immoral woman and this and that. Look, you, you understand that Jesus didn't write the book. Men wrote the book. And then it was translated into the various languages. And sooner or later, some hundreds of years later, somebody put the little headings in there to kind of help us figure out where the stories are in the Bible. But Jesus never did that. He didn't look at the adulterous woman and call her an adulterous woman. He didn't do that. He didn't look at the woman at the well and call her a divorcee five times over. He pointed out that she had been because it was something that helped her understand that he knew what was going on in her life. Zacchaeus, he, didn't point, he never pointed out the failings of outsiders. Now, he would deal with the church quite pointedly, the religious people of the day quite pointedly, use names like snakes, vipers, hypocrites, you know, but the deal, the deal is not that. The book of Romans says it is the goodness of God that brings men and women to repentance. I'm not saying you, 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 you go slack with your standards or anything like that. But we have to make a decision to reach out to people because they're people that Jesus died for. You take the lifestyle and you set it aside because that's what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't look at your lifestyle. Jesus doesn't look at, your, at, your, at the stuff. He sets it aside because he said, I died for you, the human being, the person. And Jesus respected people enough that he would step out of the religious order of the day and have meals with people that the religious people thought were scum. And there's a lesson in that for all of us, and, and I say this a lot, and I'm going to say it again this morning. You and I will never see someone brought to healing and wholeness that we don't respect. Yeah, but they made horrible choices. Okay. They did. But you can still respect that person. Well, I can't respect someone that don't respect themselves. Sure you can. Sure you can. You can respect them for Christ's sake. You can respect them for their sake. You can respect them for your sake. We said, unfortunately, the, th the problem that we're running into, especially in America right now, is that we're having difficulty with respect because of the political division, because of all the stuff that's going on. We just have difficulty respecting people. And so the church is becoming more and more closed off to the very people that God sent us into this world to reach. You see, the church was not sent here to this earth. God, through Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, did not establish the church for church people. Everybody okay? <laughs> he didn't send the church into the world for church people. Matter of fact, church people is what's wrong with the church. It's just what's wrong. We've just screwed it up. At a way of epic, you know, epic proportions. We've just screwed it up. Why? Because we've become church people and not followers of Christ. See, that's the problem. That's the problem. We see broken people all around us. We see brokenness. Sometimes they don't even know they're broken. They don't think they're broken. 
They believe that God made them the way that they are, that, 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 what's going, that, that they're perfectly fine the way they are. On the other hand, if we have the mind of Christ and we look at people through the eyes of the way God does, through the eyes of Jesus Christ on the cross, we begin to see there are broken people all around us, including we who are broken. And Jesus was all about broken people. Jesus cares about broken people, and so should we. Even those who don't see themselves as broken. He said this in Luke 4. He, he goes into the synagogue, he opens up the scroll, and he reads this. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, these things have been fulfilled in your sight today. Boom. And sits down. What is he saying? He said, this is why I came. I came for broken people. In Matthew 12, Jesus says something very important. He he says this. He says, a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. I don't know if you've ever seen a reed, when a, when a reed gets hit or gets hit real hard with a stick. Sometimes it won't break off. Sometimes it just, it's just got a bad bruise. But as it's bruised there, as the wind begins to flow, sometimes it'll just break and fall over and eventually it'll die. But Jesus is saying, I'm not going to take a bruised reed and break it off. You take a wick, you light a candle or a lamp or something like that. And it gets to a point and it's then just, just smoldering. You just, just smoldering. Ever build a fire? And you just watch that fire until it breaks down to embers and it gets darker and darker and darker. The glow is there, then it starts getting darker and darker and darker and darker. Jesus says, when you've been through some stuff and the fire in your life has been taken out of you and you're just smoldering there, I'm not going to come in and pour water on it and throw dirt on top of it to smother it out. No, what does he do? He takes the reed and he bandages the reed. Why? Because he said, I have come come to proclaim freedom for prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. Set the oppressed free. I've come for the poor. I've come for the needy. I've come for those that are broken. I'm not going to put out the smoldering aspect of your life when everything else has been is gone out and, and the fire's no longer there and there's just a little bit of smoke, just a little bit of smolder. He said, I'm going to get down on my hands and knees. I'm going to, I want to put some fuel there. I'm going to put some wind there. I'm going to put the ingredients that are needed so that once again, that can be a roaring blaze. That's why Jesus came because he's not afraid to get down on his hands and knees and do the work over the fire to rekindle it. He's not afraid to walk up to the reed and do the work that's needed where it's bruised so that it doesn't collapse and die. That's that's why Jesus came. That's why he sent us into this world. I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe this verse in Matthew 12, the bruised reed and and smoldering reed, maybe that describes you today. Maybe you're the bruised reed. Maybe you're the the smoldering wick. Maybe you've been on fire for God and you've had some things going, but all of a sudden, after months and months of hardship and trial and situation and tribulation and everything else that's going on, you just, there's no fire there and you're just getting down to a point where it's just a smolder. It happens to all of us. What I want to tell you is God's not going to put you out because you're not burning as bright as you once were, but he's going to work to rekindle that flame in your life again. There's a parable in the Old Testament. It's in Jeremiah 18. It says this. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. 
So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Now, I know you know this, but I'll tell you this anyway. In this parable, he's describing God as the potter. And in this particular parable, Israel is the clay, but to the broader uh, community, we are the clay. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 64, yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You're the potter. We are all the work of your hand. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in what? Jars of clay. What is the jars of clay? Our human form. I'm not dirt. Yeah, you are. We're all formed out of the dust of the ground. We're just dirt. Cave-dwelling dirt people. That's who we are. That's all we, that's who we are. But this particular parable centers on the clay. It centers on the clay on the wheel. Now, I want you to, I want you to see something this morning. The quality, first thing is this. The quality of clay determines what the potter can do with it. Now, some of you immediately went here. Well, I'm worthless. I'm the old stinky, muddy, sulfury type clay. I'm not good for anything. That's not true. Any clay, if it stays in the master's hand, the potter's hands long enough, can become a vessel of honor. Because he's going to work it, okay? He's going to work that clay. But in this case, the, the clay wasn't suitable for the purpose of the vessel that the potter originally intended. He could make something out of it, but not what he had originally, not what his original purpose. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, I know the plans, God's speaking. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God has a plan for everybody's life. There's not a person on this planet that is outside of God having a specific plan for their life. Everybody has a plan. God has a plan for your life. <clears throat> But it's here, here we talk about the original purpose. What about the original purpose? Was it, was it the only purpose? No, it was just the original one. God has a plan. Sometimes we do make mistakes, and those mistakes alter what we can actually do in life. Maybe you made a mistake as a young person, and you've got a record now that, that keeps you out of certain jobs that you would love to do. Well, guess what? It doesn't mean that God's not finished with you. It doesn't mean that you can't be a vessel of honor. It just means that God has altered what his original purpose was, and he's got something else that's going to be just as good, if not better for you, because God never stops working with the clay. He never stops working with the clay. Jesus was asked in the, in, the, in the Gospels, he was asked one time by the Pharisees, he said, they said to him, they said, you know, uh, Moses said we could divorce for any reason. What do you say? Can we divorce for any reason we want to? And the problem was they were, the Pharisees were trying to get around the law a little bit. Because since Moses, they had actually worked out this kind of a deal with the way the law worked. And that is, if you were married to somebody and you found somebody you liked better, you could just divorce that person for any reason and then marry this other person. That's, that's what's going on in, in the days, the centuries leading up to Jesus. From Moses to Jesus, that's what was happening. Well, I don't like this model. I'll get me a new one. 
Oh, I like that over there better, so I'm going to go after that person. And so the Pharisees, they had made it a practice of trumping up some excuse, divorcing their wife so they could marry another woman. And Jesus said this. He said, look, it was not that way from the beginning. What was he saying? That's not the original purpose of marriage. The original purpose of marriage is go back to the garden. What is it from the beginning? What beginning? The Eden. Adam and Eve. One man, one woman for life. Yeah, but I've already been divorced a, a few times. Okay. You're still clay. Stay on the wheel. Let God work his magic in your life to turn you into a vessel of honor regardless. The woman at the well had been married five times. And God used her to evangelize her entire community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There you go. There you go. There you go. I want, you, I want you to see something really important here this morning. If I can find the really important thing I want you to see. In this instance in Jeremiah, the clay frustrated the potter's original intention and caused him to change it. In this particular case, in Jeremiah, the clay is resistant to the hands of the potter. That's one thing for us to just make mistakes because of life. We, just make, we all make mistakes, okay? But then there's a point in time when we begin to know what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And it's in those times when we know right from wrong that we begin to resist the change that the potter's wanting to make in the, in the clay. We don't understand that when the potter's working with the clay, he's trying to, to get out all the impurities. He's working it so that all the air bubbles will come. Because one, if you build some pottery, you make some pottery, say, as a vase or something like that, and you don't get all the air bubbles of that, you put it in the kiln and, it fi and you fire it, it's going to explode. Boom. Those air bubbles will explode. If there's a rock in there somewhere, a pebble in there, or a piece of clay that hasn't been, hasn't been broken down into like granules, there'll be a weakness there and it'll crack. So the potter works on the clay. But there's a lot of people today as clay that are resistant to the plan and purpose of God. We resist what God wants to do in our life. We push against it. You have loved ones in your life that they push against what they know is God's will for their life. They know what to do. They know what's right. They know what's right, but yet they're resistant. And what I want to tell you today is this. We are all clay and we all resist at times. There's two sides of this message today. There's the message to the church about loving people, accepting people, and forgiving people. Letting the potter do what he's going to do with the clay, which many times means you've got to take your hands off of it because what happens a lot of times is when two hands are working with the clay, it gets all jacked up. So we've got to step back from it, take our hands off the clay of our loved ones and let God do what he's going to do, even when he has to take the wire to the clay. And the wire is a little thin wire that he runs back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth through the clay to get all the junk out of it, to make sure there's no impurities there, there's no chunks, no, so that it won't crack when it's fired. And we all will go through the fire. Can I get a witness this morning? But if you're here today and you are broken, which many people are, 
Statistics tell us that I think it's one out of every four individuals have been abused at some point. One out of every four. It's a lot of abuse. It's a lot of abuse. But if we're going to move from a place of brokenness to a place of wholeness, then we've got to submit and surrender and stop resisting the potter's hands. In other words, we have to make room for God. The clay has to submit to the purpose of the potter to fully become the vessel of honor. Yeah, but Phil, what if I'm not the right kind of clay? Listen, we're all the right kind of clay. We're all just jars of clay. But I want you to see this. Notice what it says here. The pot he was shaping from the clay was marred. It had, it had impurities in it. It's in his hands. He felt, he felt everything that was going on. So what did he do? Just take the clay and chunk it out the window? No. So the potter continued to work it into another pot as he seemed best. That he continued to work it, continued to work it. Here's the interesting thing about the potter. The potter's hand never leaves the clay. The potter's hand never leaves the clay. Spinning on the wheel. He's always got his hands there. He's always working it. He's putting the wire. He's doing everything that's necessary. He keeps working it, removing the bubbles, removing the impurities. And what I want you to want to see, want you to see this morning is this, that regardless of your past, regardless of your present, regardless of your present resistance, God still works. God still has a plan. You're still in the palm of his hand, and he's not going to remove his hand from your life. Because he said, I got plans for you. And my plans for you are to prosper you and not harm you, to bring you hope and to bring you a future. That's my plan for your life. To become a vessel of honor. God's original purpose for everyone happens when we make room for God. You want to see your loved ones and your friends and those that, even those of your neighbors that you don't know come to faith in Christ? Don't put a sign out on your yard, turn or burn. You know? I saw something this week, and, 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 and this is the thing that... It's, it's close to us because of our family situation. But the, the thing I want you to see today is this. And, and the hot button and, and the, the, the hotbed is the LGBTQ stuff. Where we're just standing, we're, we're just screaming and yelling and, you know, abortion. We're screaming and yelling at people, you're murderer and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, that's going to really bring them in. God hates homosexuals. The Bible doesn't say that. Now, what the Bible does say is that he, he hates people that sow discord. There's like seven things. He calls them the seven deadlies. Lying tongue, a haughty look. What's a haughty look? I'm a Christian. God loves me. God hates you. I'm a Christian Republican. God loves me. God hates you. I'm a Christian Democrat. God loves me. God hates you. That's a haughty look. You want to talk about something that God hates? God hates a haughty look. A lying tongue. There's a whole list. There's seven of them. But the adulterer, the immoral, 
the addict, the drunkard. For God so loved the world. And God loves you. God loves you. Right where you are, right in your situation. I want to ask the altar team, I want them to come this morning. I felt for quite a while, I sent Charlie a text a few days ago, and I just said, man, I'm feeling something at the end of service. I want to do, I want to actually have an altar call. So I want you to stand all over the room, okay? And I, I get, I get, I get the whole COVID thing and, and all that, okay? I'm not, I'm not, you don't do anything that you're uncomfortable doing, okay? But I just feel in my spirit and in my heart that God wants to begin the process in some people in this house today. That God wants to begin the process of moving you from a place of brokenness to a place of wholeness in him. You got to acknowledge that you're broken, okay? Well, I think my life's great. Okay, maybe it is. But are you fulfilling the original purpose of God for your life? Are you fulfilling the plan and purpose that God has for you? Or are you resistant? Are you the clay that's resisting everything that God says? When God says this, you go, no. He says, up. I'm going to go down. The sky's blue. No, it's green. That's resistant clay. You've got to acknowledge you're broken. You've got to stop resisting. You have to submit to the pot. In the world. You've got to make room for God. Make room for God. And then you've got to walk it out. Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus came into the world almost 2,000 years ago as a little baby, and there was no room for him. There was no room for him in the inn. There was no room for Jesus in the religious system of that day. There was no room in the attitudes of his own people. There was no room in their prejudice. There was no room in their bias. There was no room. What about in your life this morning? Is there room for God in your life? Beth gave me a word this morning that literally has been a year in preparation for this day. She, she wrote this page. She started this February the 1st, 2021. It begins with the word release. Relief or deliverance from sorrow, suffering, or trouble. Discharge from obligation or responsibility of a right or claim. Second word, relinquish. Voluntarily cease to keep or claim. To give up, abandon control of something or a claim. To cease holding physically, release, to let go, surrender. These words are interchangeable, yet they're different. <clears throat> we hold on to so much hurt, so much anger, so much bitterness, fear, self-doubts, failures. We push them down, so far down in our self-conscious that it forms a callus over our heart. Because of what we've done or not done, because of how someone hurt us, we have held on to unforgiveness, anger, bitterness. We have the attitude, I have every right to be angry, pissed off is what it says here. 
think Jesus might use that word? They used me, they took away something they had no right to take. This does not just pertain to something painful as abuse. This incorporates anything and everything, no matter how insignificant we think it is. If it hardens our heart, causes a disruption in our walk with the Lord, keeps us from truly hearing his voice, it is a concern to God. He wants to see us walk in our full potential. He is asking and has been asking us to relinquish voluntarily, cease, lay down, to give up control of, to let it go or surrender, all those areas we have felt the need to hold on to. It will not be easy. In fact, there will be moments of exhaustion, tears, anger, doubt. But here is his promise. As you relinquish the areas that I have called to your attention. Now get this. Sounds like the potter with the clay, doesn't it? I will walk with you. I will release my spirit upon you. I will give you the strength and ability to peel away the callous layers in your heart and in your mind. I will renew your mind. I will heal the wounded spirit. I will give you a new beginning. You will, with my help, face those obstacles with dignity, courage, and boldness. That is a word for some people in this house and some people in some living rooms this morning. Jesus promises to love you unconditionally, to accept you without reservation, to forgive you with no bitter taste, and so does Generations United Church. How do we make room for God? We expose people, broken people, to Jesus, to the clay, the clay. We expose the clay to the potter, if you will, through loving, accepting, and forgiving people. Now, I want to ask you this morning, if you're broken this morning, if you're that clay on that wheel and you're not fulfilling the purpose, you've been resistant to God's hand in your life, and you want to move toward wholeness today, I want you to get out in Jesus' name right now and move forward for prayer and salt. I'm broken. I've been resistant. I've been fighting the process. But I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to be a vessel of honor. And I'm not, I'm not going to resist the hand of God in my life anymore.